0: Good afternoon. afternoon. That's was kind of weak. <laughs> yeah, sure you guys want to be here? <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. Please turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. The scenery, Paul is in prison, thinking about what to tell this church whom he had never seen but loved because of their faith in Christ. They, in a sense, impressed him. And you ever felt like that before, even though you haven't really known a person for a long time, but the more time you spend with them, they impress you in some way. It seems like there's a chemistry, if you would. And so Paul um, is considering this church and he's trying to encourage them. And Paul loved the church of Christ and he used this opportunity to give them some instructions and words of encouragement. And so to remind us, I just want you to get a feel of Paul's letter. And so I want to just read chapter 1, a a couple of verses in chapter 1, and listen to uh, the words. Colossians 1, beginning at um, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you Since today, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love in the spirit. Can you sense the love that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had for this Colossian church while he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Paul is hopeful that these Christians will continue in bearing fruit that is consistent with their faith in Christ. In chapter 3, he continues to instruct them about how they can be successful in doing that so that they might grow up in Christ. It was important that they first kill off the deeds of the flesh. In other words, they needed to deal with the problems that came out of their sinful hearts, and mind. They had to come to a place to be real with themselves. They had to identify some problems. And so we've learned that Paul have instructed them to, after the learning, there there was a need to put those things off because, in other words, that's not who you truly are. But he wanted them to grow. And so they had to be mindful to put off those things because if they don't put them off, they're only deceiving themselves. Just as James says in James 1.22, when he warns Christians of being self-deceived, there he states, but be doers of the word and not Hearers, only deceiving yourselves. In other words, becoming self-deceived. The Holy Spirit wants us to press on in our battle against sin in pursuit of holy living and an obedient lifestyle. The battle must continue against sin. Christians must pursue holiness and take every opportunity to glorify God. So what I'm trying to say is that there is a destination. There's a place where Paul is intending for these Christians to land. Paul is trying to help his listeners understand that Love is the most significant and most recognizable character trait that all Christians must have. It's not debatable. It is from this virtue that all other virtues stand. So without love, nothing else matters. Let's now read Colossians 12, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would help us to understand your word. We pray that you would bring clarity that our faith might grow, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we pray that by the lifestyle we live, it would prove who we are in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to identify areas of weakness that we might deal with them and be honest with ourselves in areas, Lord, we don't feel good about. But, Lord, we know you to be a God who forgives and restores. You're a God of love, and it's by your love that we're able to repent. We're able to change our direction. We're able to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's by the power of your Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, help us now as we look into your Word. Speak your truth through your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing uh, from uh, the last title. This is a part two, if you would. The sermon is entitled, Put Off Sin and Put on Christ. So The question is, how do we do that? How do we put on Christ? Paul helps us. The first point I see is... Paul wants us to understand our identity in Christ. In other words, as believers, we need to know who we are and whose we are. Paul begins within the text helping his listeners to understand the force behind who they are in Christ. He states in verse 12, put on then as God's. Chosen ones, holy and beloved, chosen ones. You can also think of this as God electing us before the foundation of the world. It's as if it's all a part of God's plan. These Christians must know and believe in their own identity. In other words, Christians are not who they once were. We learned in in the earlier chapter that we are risen with Christ. The old man is dead. And so Christians must live out this new reality. They are the chosen ones of God. Christians are of a new community in Christ before God the Father. How? By the enabling power of the Spirit of God who is at work in them. Within this new community, there's no racial or social or political or business identity. All of those things are on the outside when we come into the family of God. Christ is our identity and we're all His ambassadors. Christians shouldn't become professional saints because we haven't earned our position. We've been gifted our new position through the blood of Christ and the grace of God. We are the chosen of God. He forms the church. To be a peculiar people, unlike the world. The bride of Christ must put off her old practices and instead put on her new self. Listen again to the previous verse right before today's text in verse 9. Do not lie to one another Do you know who you are in Christ? According to Paul, by the way of the Spirit, Christians, according to verse 12, are the chosen of God. And we are duty-bound to put off the old man and put on Christ. So that reminds us that we're not to live out of natural inclination. God is calling us up. He's calling us to live according to a higher standing. And it's not by our own strength, it's by way of his enabling power through his spirit. And so he commands us to live by higher standards that are not of this world. And he sums up all of the law and the prophets in two commands when he states the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets and so that means as it states in Colossians 3 verse 3 for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ Hidden with Christ in God. So that requires us to put to death what is earthly. Everything that we might tend to depend upon, we must remember that we're not to rely upon those things. If Christians are going to live their lives hidden with Christ, we must die. We must die. We must begin living under a new authority over our lives. These Christians cannot live in the way they once lived. In other words, there's no room for a person or class of people to consider themselves superior to other believers within the Christian faith. Paul is dealing with this. Those are the kinds of things that the world does. They give themselves value on the basis of what they have. And Paul is saying that's not you, you are in Christ. And so they're not to value themselves on the basis of their intelligence. They're not to value themselves on the basis of wealth or talent or position in society. Paul is saying that's not you. Instead, Christians must learn to serve one another. Because of the intrinsic value given to us by God. We are the elect of God. We are not called out to be like the world. His chosen people are called out of the world to be disciples of Christ. Therefore, Christians must put on Christ in order to live for Christ. It appears that Paul's listeners have met that standard. And this is why Paul is now encouraging them to live godly lifestyles. They've already accepted Christ as Lord and as Savior. Now they are getting instructions on what to do and how to live. And so Paul addressed them in that way. He says, put on them as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. And he begins to tell them about putting on Christ-like virtues. What are these Christ-like virtues we must put on? How are they different? Well, he begins with compassionate hearts. Paul reminds us of the virtues we must have as Christians. If if we've been risen with Christ, then our lives ought to reflect that reality. And having a compassionate heart is a virtue from God. It means that the person is caring and sympathetic towards others. Proverbs 14 shows us what compassion looks like when it states in verse 31, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors God. This is an example of what compassion looks like. In other words, be a person who is sympathetic towards others not a person who is only concerned about themselves that's part of the dying since we have been born again and are new creatures in Christ we ought to be compassionate people people ought to know us by compassion why because that's a virtue That's a virtue. This requires a certain tenderness about us that extends to others and is shown forth as acts of mercy. There's always opportunities for us to be compassionate toward others. Sometimes an opportunity might come by way of a neighbor. You have an opportunity to serve a neighbor. Other times it might Uh, come by how we treat a stranger. There might be an opportunity for us to to express this individually or collectively. The opposite of compassion is someone who is cruel, someone who is harsh, who is unsympathetic, who is unconsiderate. To somebody else. Someone who is ruthless and downright mean. We can't be that and a Christian. We can't chalk that up as to that's just me. That's just the way I am. That's just the way I'm built. That's just the way I'm wired. We're not that because we've been called into newness. And so we're commanded not to be that. If anyone continues in that way, they're just proving that they are not Christ. They're not a person who belongs to Christ. They're not a Christian. Because Paul instructs us on how Christians behave. God is a compassionate God toward his people according to the prophet Isaiah when he reflected upon it in Isaiah 63 and 7 when he states I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion to the abundance of his steadfastness love that's how we're supposed to look we're we're supposed to have a certain resemblance about ourselves that doesn't give us the glory we're able to point others to Christ because people realize that something is going on there there has been a change and people will, if the change has really happened, people will try to help you to remember who you once was. I remember. Right? And really you can celebrate in that moment because they see something different. And we're able to point them to Christ. I'm glad I'm not that person anymore. I've been born again. I've been changed. I've been saved. And so that's one of the things we want to remember. We can relate to this idea of of God's abundant love. We can relate to this because God has shown us compassion by way of a bloody cross. He died on that cross for us. And we don't deserve it. But God in his kindness demonstrates his love upon a cross for his people, for his chosen ones, for those who are living their lives holy and set aside for the glory of God. The called out ones. That's the highest example of compassion we can ever learn is The fact that Christ went to the cross. So how can you show compassion? In what ways? Well, one way of showing compassion, according to 1 John 3.17, we can show compassion by filling a need. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Consider those whom you might pass in the street. Take the opportunity to be a blessing. Right? Or join us in supporting uh, and ministering to those of our brothers and sisters in need. The next virtue we must put on is kindness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always. Always is all the time. All means all. Is that right? Always seek to do good to one another and everyone. That's the command. To one another, the body of Christ, and to everyone. I told you the, the standard is high. It's a high calling to be in Christ. But but we see evidences of this within the scriptures, right? God Did not give us what we deserve. He gave us what we don't deserve. And that he loved us. And that he died for us. And so that ought to bleed out of us. When Christ have really come in and have changed us. We see this in the life of Joseph. Joseph, many of you know after being sold into slavery... And then, rising to second command in power in Egypt, Joseph was sold by his brothers. Joseph was sold into slavery. Years have gone by. He asked people, "Remember me?" He've interpreted their dreams and everything, and they forgot about him. And he was still in prison. And his brothers sold him there. And here it is. Joseph. Showing compassion to his brothers when they came to Egypt looking for food. And here it is. He was second in command. Distributing all of the food in the land. And here it is. Joseph. Is able to show His brothers, compassion. Joseph, when they came to Egypt looking for food, he gave them the best. He gave them the best. And not only that, he relieved them. He forgave them. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Are we able to come alongside of that and say, that's who we are? If not, repent. Change your direction. That's what we want to do. If that's not enough in the book of Acts, in the ninth chapter, Dorcas is known as a woman who cares for widows and providing clothing for the poor. She was very much loved in Joppa. And when she became very ill and died, the townspeople said, we got to do something. Do what, what, you remember that guy Peter? He's supposed to be the man of God. We need to go call him so that he can help us. And Peter went to her and took Dorcas by the hand and brought her back from the dead. Dorcas is a great example for Christians today of how we ought to treat others. She gave of her substance. She gave of her treasures so that others will not be in need. She met the needs of those in her sphere of influence. We're not asking. God is not asking us to do something that he have called somebody else to do. He's saying in your sphere of influence you ought to Look like me. We're to live in what he has called us to do. What about you? Are you looking for opportunities to show kindness to others? Or are you looking to just blow by people? Do you accelerate on the gas when the person is in need in front of you? Do you go the opposite way or do you look for an opportunity to be a blessing to those in need? There will always be tricksters. There will always be people who are trying to get things out of us. But I think one of the most important thing, if we don't know and we have opportunity and we feel moved to do something, we ought to do something as the Lord leads us. We're to be wise. We're not saying we're not to be wise in these kinds of circumstances, but sometimes we have it and we just don't give it. And so we're we're instructed to be kind to others, to show hospitality, to love on others. Another good example of what it meant by kindness is found in the story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. You remember this story is about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while on the way, he was robbed of everything he had and then beaten. This man was in very bad shape. The good Samaritan came by and saw the man in dire need of help. So what does he do? He shows the man kindness by first giving the man medical attention, and then he takes him to an inn and pays in advance. And he says, if, I owe, if he owes anything, I'll pay for that too. So that the man could take his time and recover from his wounds and injury. The Good Samaritan is one of the greatest examples of how we ought to express care for our neighbors when the opportunities come our way. The question is, are we even looking? Do we even care? But... The more we learn about God and we see that people have value, then we care. Sometimes because our theology is wrong, we don't care because we don't understand who God is. Or we need to be reminded that all men have value because God, their creator, gave them Value and no one has to earn it. Everyone has value. And so, are you a kind person? Can you say that about yourselves? Can other people say that you are kind? Who do you know might not consider you a kind person? I'm not saying that they are right, but are they wrong? The greater question is, is it true? Is that an area we, we need to focus on? If so, we just must change. We have to look at those weak areas that we often fail and begin to process that change, but it requires honesty. And as you know, we have to trust those whom God has given us. As husbands, we have to trust our wives. They're speaking truth into our lives. As fathers, we must listen to our children. As employees, we have to consider what our managers and leads are telling us. I'm not saying that people always get it right. And I get that. But we ought to at least humble ourselves to to listen and consider what they're saying. And as Christians, we can't let pride overtake us. We must be kind. Then as, cho- as the chosen of God, holy holy, and beloved, we ought to put on humility, a virtue all Christians must have in, ev- in order to even know God. Because in order to come into relationship with God, we have to first humble ourselves and believe that he is God. One uh, writer states, a man ought ever to be absorbing humility and the fear of God as the nostrils breathe air in and out. Unquote. And this is true. In other words, humility is a necessary virtue that all Christians must have. In order to fully obey God, we must demonstrate and express an attitude of lowliness and obedience before the Creator. Listen to what the Spirit teaches in James 4 and 2. You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. So we can see what happens when we're not depending upon God, but we are allowing ourselves to move from natural inclination, natural responses. But this is not who we are. We are the chosen of God, and we must humble ourselves. In 1 Peter 3 and 8, it states, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. God commands humility, but he also exalts the humble person. As the chosen of God, we should always seek to be humble. How else could we ever be restored? How else could we return to God? How else could we repent and be restored again and again? We must humble ourselves. Another writer states, As a ship cannot be built without nails, a man cannot be saved without humility. Unquote. Paul can relate because before the Lord saved him, God had to first humble him on the Damascus Road to the point of blindness. The Apostle Paul recognized his need to stay humble. He was humble in the beginning in order to even come to know God. But Paul realized that this is not a one-time event. I must remain humble. So Paul states in First 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am The foremost. In other words, I'm the worst of them all. In order for someone to see themselves in that way, God has to become holy. Set aside, He has to become big and huge that we see our puny selves in the light of who He is and what He has done for us. Similar to humility, we must also put on meekness. Meekness is defined as an attitude of humble, submissive, and expectant trust in God, and loving, patient, and gentle attitude toward others. The question is are we known to be meek? Now, meekness is not weakness, that's stinky thinking. But Jesus states in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In prayers, we must have the right attitude and meekness so that we might seek God rightly and seek his grace. Meekness is about our attitude. And meekness is an attribute for being wise as well. In James 3 and 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So Paul is just reminding us of this reality that ought to be amongst Christians. He's addressing the church. This is how the church ought to be operating in meekness, in humility. According to the scriptures in Numbers 12, verse 3, we see the same idea with one of God's servants. There it says, now the man Moses, watch this, was a very meek. This is interesting. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. It was a man who was known for meekness. We also see meekness, the meekness of Job in Job 1.21 when he states, And naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I should return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Watch, in all of the taking, he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The world doesn't talk like that. When they don't have their stuff taken from them, they don't say, bless it. Thank you, Lord. I wonder how you're going to use this. No. And so it reminds us of the changes that are being made in us. Now, we can mention more other examples like Jeremiah, Mary, Stephen, right? Stephen, while he was dying, he said, Lord, forgive them, right? Right? We see it with Paul. Meekness is not only an attitude of humility, but it includes a willingness to submit and obey God despite the outcome with unwavering trust. Some some of us will not do anything unless we know everything about everything. And we would say, well, until I know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. But God wants us to to exercise faith in him. So, we ultimately see this idea of meekness in the life of Christ, don't we? The Lord Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And What did they do? They cast lots to divide his garments. He was on the cross dying for the world so that they might have salvation from God. Then we're told to put on patience. By the way, how are you doing with that? Are you patient? Just want to let you know I'm going to preach one more hour. Oh, y'all, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I just wanted to see if y'all wanted to really, you know, prove that you're patient. No. All right, just kidding. So patience is defined as the quality of forbearance and self-control, which shows shows itself particularly in a willingness to wait upon God and his will. Believers are called to be patient in their expectation of God's actions and in their relationships with one another. It's something we have to think about. Am I patient? Or do I get angry and frustrated? Do I say things that are hurtful? Right? Am I impatient? What it's actually saying is that we're not identifying with Christ. Because how much more is God patient with us when we don't do all the things that he's told us to do over and over and over again? And so we have to remember to look to Christ. Now, let's consider the results of these virtues according to verse 13. We will learn how how these work together. Paul adds in verse 13, bearing with one another. This is another way of saying that if we have these virtues, we will learn tolerance. After we learn tolerance, then we're able to forgive one another just as Christ forgave us. Are you tolerant with those who are hard to deal with? Paul adds, how do you practice this? We practice this by being forgiving. Giving opportunity for people to be restored even in the midst of breaking relationships. Isn't that what Christ did for us on the cross? We we broke The covenant, the relationships we had with God, God made it so that we can come back to him and be accepted and being made, adopted into his family that we might become children of God. He loved us even while we were in the pit digging with the pigs. And God said, I don't care. She's mine. He's mine. They are mine. And so, how do you practice forgiveness? If you're here today and you haven't surrendered yourselves to Christ, you won't be able to do any of these things. These are the evidences of faith. Not a means to faith. You must first be born again. That's why a new birth is necessary. Life in God comes through the death of Christ. It comes through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We call that the gospel, the angelion, the good news. Because we know what he has done for us. And until you accept that for yourselves, cannot know God. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I hope you believe today. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But I hope you will believe today and be saved because Christ is your only hope. God is inviting us to put on love. Love is the next point. Love is what we need in order to have everything working together. Verse 14, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the chain that moves and turns the wheels of Christian virtue. Without love, the chain is broken and we are going nowhere. Every virtue depends on love. We are only deceiving ourselves, which is the very thing James warned us not to do. If we're not operating out of love... And loving one another, love is like the outer garment that brings the whole outfit together. You know, a lot of you ladies can relate to that uh, with clothing. Everything got to work together. It, that, that, that doesn't go together. You can't put that shirt with that, you know. Uh, our wives helps us and they correct us and it gets us on point. And Paul is saying, "Love is like that, that it helps to work everything together. And if we're not operating out of love, we're deceiving ourselves. So what is the peace of Christ, and how do we let it rule? Letting the peace of Christ rule, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. There must be peace in the body of Christ. We can't be the church of Christ without peace. That's a part of our identity. That's who we are. We've come under the one who is called the peacemaker. That's part of our identity. And so we see this in Paul's final instructions to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, when he states, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from, e- from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Now it becomes more of a belief and a trusting in God that when things don't feel favorable to me when things doesn't feel good when I've been hurt we're able to remember that he who calls us is faithful and he will surely do it and lastly letting the word of Christ reign in verse 16 Paul states to the church Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So since we are the church of Christ, we must live under the word of Christ. Because we are the church of Christ, we must live under the word of Christ, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And lastly, doing everything in the precious name of Christ. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As if Paul said, just in case I missed anything, He covers everything and whatever, right? Do everything. In other words, our intentions and actions ought to develop out of a desire to not be right, right? But a desire to please and honor God. Whatever it is, it must begin with Christ as the foundation and the motivation to why we're doing what we're doing. And so, why and how should we regularly give thanks to the Father That's the last statement, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus taught us how to glorify God. This was a main mission in saving sinners. This was his mission. It was to bring glory to the Father, and as disciples of Christ, children of the Most High God, we ought to glorify him too. I'm going to close with this. Someone stated one of the... Preachers of the early church uh, said, if you wish to receive, first give. I quote, do you wish to receive kindness? Be kind to another. Do you wish to receive mercy? Show mercy to your neighbor. Do you wish to to be applauded? Applaud another another. Do you wish to be beloved? Exercise love. Do you wish to enjoy the first rank? First concede that place to another. Become yourself the judge and yourself the lawgiver of your own life, unquote. Nothing that we have been asked to do can be accomplished on our own through the flesh. This is spiritual warfare. We are in a battle. Therefore, we must depend upon God in order for us to exercise all of these virtues that are binded, that are chained together in love. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to apply uh, your word in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. We ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.